I'm Kirby Falk, and this is the Kirby Method Podcast. This is the podcast for former athletes looking for something they love as much as their sport, whether it be a career, hobby, side gig, or new exercise routine. This is the Kirby Method Podcast, and I'm your host, Kirby. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Emily Oliver, a former Stanford soccer player. Emily, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, let's jump right in. Let's let's hear your intro. <laughs> What's your athletic bio in a nutshell? Um, so my athletic bio, I was a Stanford goalkeeper on the women's soccer team from 2010 to 2013. Um, we went to a couple Final Fours while I was there, and uh, it was a, a great time. That's wonderful. Didn't, did you win a national championship? We did, Don't yes. be modest. Yes, yes. my <laughs> sophomore year. <laughs> your sophomore year. I did not win a national championship while I was at Stanford, so that's huge. <laughs> you paved the way for us, right? <laughs> That's very nice of you. Um, so what's one athletic accomplishment you're very proud of? Um, definitely that national championship. Um, but I think, I think building a culture of just a, a winning legacy at Stanford that had kind of begun before I got there, to be honest, but carrying that on, um, and, you know, passing it along to the teams in the future that, you know, congratulations to the women that won this year as well. So, you know, we're setting them up well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> that was such an incredible, I mean, yeah, run and year this year to win the national championship and That's the Stanford so men's the team won team. as well yep. for the first time in team history to have both men and women program win. So, um, yeah, I'd say that's quite the quite the accomplishment to be proud of. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and so then what are you up to now as we sit here in Chicago looking out over the water here? So I am a business analyst for a sports technology and data company called Stats. Cool. And we supply a lot of the data to different media companies and we do some cool optical tracking stuff that we'll sell back to teams um, for their own team analytics. So it's really fun to still be in the sports industry but in a kind of a different perspective. Definitely. See different sides and different angles of it. Couldn't get away from sports. <laughs> Most of us can't. <laughs> That's why we're here, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so let's jump into talking a little bit more about transitioning out of sports and tra- transitioning out of soccer, which is why we're here tonight. So um, just to start off, I'd love to hear a little bit more. Like, tell me about you know your transition out of soccer. I know you had you know career-ending um, injury um, that that we were talking about. So I'd love to hear you know what that transition looked like for you. Sure. So. I unfortunately ended um, due to concussions a couple games into my senior season. I ended up having four. uh, And depending on the day that I look back on it, it's either a a blessing or a curse, I think. Um, I was one of the team captains that year, and I just stayed on, and I went to team trainings and got to travel on an away trip with the team as well. And so I very much felt like... I was still a part of it as hard as it was to be there to see what I was missing out on every day it was a little bit of a step away from the game without really having to to not see it every day so Mm -hmm. 
it was tough at the time, but I think it really helped me kind of kickstart my transition out of the sport. Yeah, it's interesting. So I ended my career, um, as we talked about, on a knee injury, and I actually had surgery on my knee, let's see, uh, the second to last pro season that I played. And so I remember, I mean, I rode the bench <laughs> and was with the team that last year. Um, and it was hard. And, I, yeah. you know, it was really hard. But it was also, um, I think, as you're kind of hinting at, like, a, a good experience in that realizing that, geez, like, I just don't know. Like, it helped me make the decision um, at the end of it that, you know, this was probably, probably time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's always hard to make that call. You know, and we talked about the people that sometimes retire and come back and just the difficulty of not only having to make the decision, but then living with it afterwards, too, is kind of an interesting road. Yeah, definitely. Um, So tell me, what was it like when you were when you after you decided to make that or after you made the decision that you weren't going to play anymore? Like what happened then? Um, So, like I said, I mean, I finished out the season being a part of the team so that took up a lot of my time I think one of the things that I encountered and I think everybody as an athlete does when you're done is the amount of free time you have (laughs) yeah (laughs) was a little bit overwhelming I think (laughs) in an interesting way not neither good or bad but um uh I tried to capitalize on it I learned to surf which I had shoulder problems through my my soccer career so that was kind of a fun branching out you know not really caring what happened to my shoulder after a surfing session so um so that was fun and and just trying to fill that time which is not easy and it's kind of um I don't in my family we call them bootstrap days where you kind of just have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get it done so there are definitely some of those days where you don't really know what to do with yourself and Mm -hmm. you just have, have to figure it out but um fortunately for just women's soccer players in college, our season was in the fall. So I finished soccer, but yet my college life was still the same. I still had class. And so I did still have some of the structure I had in my life when I was playing, which was really an advantage, I think, in the players that are a spring sport athlete and end when their academic career ends Mm -hmm. as well, I think would be kind of a double kind of issue to have to deal with. So I was lucky that I was a fall athlete, I guess. <laughs> you got to experience winter and spring at Stanford. Exactly. <laughs> with no soccer. Yep. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, different experience than I had. So when I was done, I wasn't even in college anymore. So it's like, oh my gosh, like totally clean slate. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I imagine that that's nice that you have the winter and spring quarter and kind of figure out like, I guess, what are my next steps, either career-wise or like where I'm living. Um, Did you work while you played? I know some of the professional players do. Yes. Um, so I, let's see, we we played like six or seven months on and then mm-hmm. five or six months off. And so in between seasons, I think between my L.A. and Philly season, I or no, between my two Philly seasons, I was interning um, at the San Francisco Marathon. Um, in, oh, nice. Up in San Francisco. Um, so I moved back up there. The traveling circus, I was moving every six months. <laughs> um, so that was yep. that was good. And I think it was interesting trying to figure out where to start. And it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, career-wise, you ended up 
or you know you're you're still like in the sports realm um, because I was like okay like I know I'm interested in sports like where can I go from here yep. um, and it was kind of a friend of a friend had worked for the San Francisco Marathon and they had um, an opening and so it just kind of all fell into place um, but yeah I was like really trying to get that job experience in between um, seasons and I think that's actually one thing that was really challenging about my Stanford experience was given the way soccer the soccer season lined up. Because we're in the quarter system, we would end yeah. um, mid-June, yep. but then preseason would start in early August. So it was really challenging to find uh, internship. Absolutely. You'd have like a six-week stint, yeah. right? And then, yeah. I think I did I did one um, for the Stanford uh, like project management office, which yeah. was great. But did you, have the, did you get to do any internships? I did, and okay. I actually got um, – it was – due to Stanford Soccer that I even got the internship. Okay. It was with a company called ABD Insurance and Financial Services. Uh-huh. And we hosted, we used to host a clinic in the spring for some young kids in the Bay Area and mm-hmm. their parents would come. And and that was how I actually met um, one of the one of the women that gave me a job in the oh, summer. So that's great. You know, thanks to soccer, I had that job, yes. right? It's, <laughs> yeah, it all comes full circle, but... It all does come full um, circle. But yeah, it's it is tough though, and I know a lot of people. I mean, not only is it tough with the time frame, but you're still training, right? You're trying to go into preseason fit, and so trying to squeeze that in with some type of a kind of uh, truncated timeline as well. And the yeah. six weeks is tough, but yeah. yeah. So it could be really hard to prepare yourself for life post sport when you're in the sport because you're so dedicated at being the best and there's so many hours and especially when you're a student athlete (laughs) and you have school maybe not in the summer but the rest of the year it's really hard right um and what's ironic i think is that employers love people who played sports in college especially d1 and you were captain whatever and and it's true all those attributes that made you a successful athlete or captain or whatnot make you a successful employee but it also like you said in terms of being the person that they've hired it's a different adjustment too mm-hmm. like it's a different way to apply those skills and it's a challenge that fortunately they don't see because they still want to hire us right which is great but yeah I think too and and um I mean, we're getting a little bit more into the career mode right now but like one thing I find is interesting is that as an athlete, everyone everyone asks me, oh, like, are you going to be a soccer coach? Or, oh, are you going to get into media, you know? Um, or, like, oh, you're an athlete, you'd be really good at sales. And yes. so, really, like, you know, there are some, I guess you could say, prescribed paths. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to be a doctor. Um, I was interested in, in being a lawyer law school, but quickly kind of nixed that. Um, so it's, it's, I find it's interesting as an athlete, there are some prescribed or expected routes. Did you yeah. have any of that experience? A little bit. And I actually gave the coaching route a little bit of a try. I yeah. assisted, um, our old assistant at Stanford, Nicole Van Dyke, um, took the head coaching position at UPenn. And so I was her assistant for a season as the goalkeeper coach, which is cool. an interesting experience. And it was a, a great experience and great staff and, interesting giving a shot it just like you said I mean it kind of wasn't my thing um but I'm absolutely happy I tried it and Mm -hmm. now I know um I think it was tough for me to be that just like we talked about that close to the sport 
without actually being the one playing mm-hmm. it. I think that was the toughest part. Yeah, so what I've really noticed is there's a big difference between playing the sport and coaching the sport. Yeah. And I just really found I really loved playing the sport. And I've dabbled in coaching, not, not to the degree you have, but in terms of coaching a different youth soccer teams. And I find that, um, yeah, it can be fun. And I love, you know, giving back and, and teaching others, you know, like what I know about soccer. Um, but I just found that in terms of a, a career, that's like not something that I was, um, not something I was interested in. Yeah. But yeah, so when you think about transitioning um, out of your sports career, what are some, you know, do you think common myths or things that aren't really well known um, when you're an athlete figuring out your next steps? I think it depends on kind of how the, how your career ended, I suppose. I mean, with us, Maybe it was sort of abrupt. Maybe we weren't ready for the next step. I was a little bit like, wait, what do you do after college? Like, oh, you're supposed to get a job. But (laughs) um, I mean, I think the common myth is that these are athletes. They're tough. They know how to get through stuff. They're going to be just fine. And nobody really pays heed to the fact that, you know, they're also people. They also don't know how to do this without their sport, right? Mm-hmm. This life, right? And they probably need help, you know, to some degree, some some more than others, and there will be plenty that will say that they don't need help. So that's interesting. So it's almost like um, athletes are really good at, ha- like, making it seem like they have it all together, right? Like, you're used to competing at a very high level, if you don't know what you're doing, you quickly figure it out or pretend like you do, right? Um, and you're able to perform. I usually just pretend to look like I do. Fake so. <laughs> it till you make it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of like, well, even though athletes may not look like they need help um, or that they have all that they need, they actually do. I think you're right, yeah. And even it's, I mean, it's not always finding that great job right or I mean it's sometimes it's not as easy as solving the problem by like you said by appearing like you're like you're making it yeah so um what are some you think major hurdles or challenges um that you personally face that you think other athletes face coming out of their sports career I think one we've established is really trying to figure out the job or kind of the next step what are some other, you know, um, hurdles or challenges that you personally faced um, or you think and or you think other athletes face? So what to do in my workouts was always a little interesting. Yeah. Um, I actually kept my folder from, like, our college <laughs> I <lifts>. did too. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, this, it's Tuesday. I'll do the Tuesday lift. Um, uh, no, but I did. I loved that stuff in college. Um and I spent a lot of time in the gym. So what was funny is that I always, I was pretty comfortable coming up with my own stuff or writing my own workouts. Um, for a few years after college, I had a hard time going to a class where a coach was telling me what to do. Okay. Because I always felt like, well, you're not my strength coach or you're not my, you know, assistant coach. Like, you don't know. <laughs> I, maybe I just had trust issues on that level, but um, I don't know. I just had a hard time, I don't know, believing that they knew what they were doing. I don't know. Yeah. Just like whether it's a spin class or CrossFit class or whatnot. But I actually had an experience. I had a hard time going to workout classes or trying new ones out 
um, because I was afraid they weren't going to be hard enough. So I had the experience transitioning out where I was honestly like deathly afraid of gaining weight and getting out of shape. And so I would work out, I felt like if I didn't work out six, uh, seven days a week, like hard, then I wasn't like working hard enough. Um, And it's been a year over year transition for me. Um, But I was afraid that those workout classes wouldn't be hard enough. (laughs) There's always something. I mean, and that's, you know, that's a piece of it too, is you're not used to working full-time as a student I mean you're pressed for time as a student athlete but working you know the hours that you work as a full-time professional is challenging in and of itself on your body Mm -hmm. and your mind and so trying to keep up you know some I don't and I don't know if you kind of faced this as you were iterating through your workouts but you know it's you don't have the same bandwidth really to give to your workouts which yeah I found uh, I don't know if you found this but it's kind of like that first like year out, you're you're just trying to like <laughs> go to work, like feed yourself and sleep. Like that's kind of yeah. all you can do. <laughs> yep, that's about right. <laughs> and then you kind of get workouts in and then gradually you're like, oh, I actually have energy and time for other social activities during the week. Yes. Like, um, and I, figuring out other workouts. I used to get, this is going to sound crazy, but like I used to get so tired from commuting. Well, no. Like, at the I end mean, of a day, yes. I'd be like, oh, my gosh, can I get off the train right now? Like, I'd just be exhausted. I don't know. Yep. Well, and it's so – but I thought – I think as an athlete, I, w- I struggled with, well, I didn't go out and run around for an hour and a half or two hours, so why am I so tired? And, like, for me, like, really understanding – it took a while for me to understand, no, there's, like, an emotional and mental component to tiring me out that yep. I didn't realize existed. Yep. Um, I'm just used to – being like, oh, like, play and run around in the field equals being tired, but nothing else really should. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because I think when you're an athlete, you're surrounded by at least somewhat like-minded people, right, on your team. And when you get into a professional setting, that isn't always the case. People from a lot of different walks of life can be working in the same company, same team, whatnot. And that in and of itself is somewhat draining, right, to be around people Mm -hmm. that take a little bit more energy and effort to relate to Mm -hmm. um which is a great thing because i do think it expands your horizons of people but it is like you said it's a it's a component that's tiring in a day that you don't really expect yeah well i think that brings up an interesting point so i think what i hear is one of the major challenges of athletes figuring it out when they're done with their sports careers is how do i find that team aspect how do i find that community in my day-to-day um, now that I'm no longer actually part of a team. Um, do, like, do you want to share like what your experience with that was like when you were done with soccer? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was at Penn, I was still with the team, right. which was yeah. you know, one of the great things I loved about being in that coaching role is I still felt like I had the team, right? Um, now, and just just fairly recently I started doing CrossFit regularly and a lot of athletes would roll their eyes right at CrossFit but um (laughs) it's no I know a lot of athletes who do CrossFit so it was a it was a great kind of void filler on multiple levels for me um it kind of fulfilled that community and that I go to the same class every day and I see the same group of people and we go through some amount of pain right in the class and you're done and that is very similar to an athletic team Mm -hmm. and what you experience in sport but 
it's great because that's also how I meet people socially, right? Like, so that's where I have a lot of my friends. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a great way to kind of knock out a couple birds with one stone, right? You, you get to see people that aren't your work people. You get to get a good workout in, build a little bit of community. Um, so that has proven to be actually a really, really great thing for me. Yeah, I've never heard it. And I think it depends who what CrossFit gym you're going to. But a lot of them are. Like, it's a great community and a great yeah. group of people. I have a lot of um, good friends who do CrossFit. I've actually, I was really trying to do it at one point. But in San Francisco, just the logistically, it just didn't work out with my commute and um, expenses and all that good yeah. stuff. It's not cheap, that's no, for sure. No, it's not. But, it's, but it's, I mean, I'm now a huge fan. I really stepped up my game in terms of investing in my own health. Well, good. Okay, so then let's talk about more about some of the common challenges um, that athletes face. So we talked a little bit about finding community and team in life post-sport. Um, we talked a little bit about how to exercise normally. So it sounds like you found some CrossFit. I did. <laughs> which is yeah. great. To be honest with you, I think the one that is still, the one that still gets me and the, and I think it maybe has emerged more recently as the most challenging one because I think I've started to kind of sort through some of the other ones, but is the finding something that you excel at as much as you did your sport Mm -hmm. because, you know, some days I'm like, I'm, I feel like I'm never going to be as good at something as I was at soccer. And some days, the days that you feel like that, it's very hard to swallow, right? I mean, you're like, I go, I go to work all day for five days a week. I work that hard, and I still might not be as good as I used to be <laughs> yeah. at something else, right? I mean, it's, it's not an easy one to stare in the face. At the same time, I guess, you never know, right? Like... You never know what you're going to find that you're super good at. Mm-hmm. And and I just hope that I continue to do things that I like and that it ends up being something, I mean, something that makes me happy, I think. And I don't know, maybe it's not necessarily finding something that I'm better at than I was at soccer, but maybe it's being as happy as I can be. Mm-hmm being as good at whatever it is that I'm good at at the time, right? I mean, yeah. it's, it's when you flip it on its head, it's almost the metric that's the issue, not necessarily the actual the actual evaluation of it. Well, I think what's interesting, it's like it's soccer or any sports, like it's just, it's easier to measure to say that like, oh my gosh, I was an elite athlete and won a national championship um, and was a phenomenal soccer player. And it's harder to measure in other areas of life. And I think, too, like I think a lot of us, myself included, get caught up in the measuring and saying, like, oh, like, i got to find something I'm going to excel at as much as I did in soccer. And it's like, well, but do I? Like, is, is it more about, like, you're talking about, like, is it more about being happy or finding what really, like, fulfills me or, like, feeling a sense of purpose? Um, which I think for athletes is so hard because that's yes. so vague, which is to your point exactly. It's like, how do you measure how happy I am, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, how do you measure fulfillment, right? Mm-hmm. We're very, like, wins-losses statistics. I mean, the sports world is obsessed. It's I mean, I work for a company white. called Stats, right? Like, we are, <laughs> we are a company. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's – and I like you mentioned previously, I think that's why some athletes – 
gravitate to sales, right? I mean, it's numbers. You hit your numbers, you don't. That's a win, that's a loss, right? Mm -hmm. You get the deal, you don't. I don't know. Um, But you're right. The metrics change, and it's just, I mean, if you think of how many years we've played sports, right? I mean, I played until I was, let's see, I guess 21, 22, something like that. And so, you know, throughout, for 22 years, you were taught how to measure your success. Mm-hmm. And now you have to change it. Mm-hmm. But the problem is it's not, there's no, there's no manual, right? There's no outline on how to measure success after college. No, there or isn't. after athletics. No. And you're living in such a black and white world. And I think what can be really challenging for any athlete is that you go from being the best at something to literally a tailspin of, I have no idea what I'm good at. I don't even know what I like to do. Like we talked about this. Like I remember like when I, when I was in the soccer, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I like to do because <laughs> yep. I'm so used to spending every second of my time. I'm either playing or if I'm in school, I'm doing school or I'm resting and like recovering, right. you know, cause like even when you're, when you're playing and you have, um, time you're not actually practicing you're always preparing for the next game um so you can't just you know necessarily go to the beach and hang out in the sun all day you can on certain days but not every day um so i think it's like it's a really hard it's really hard and i i think i would guess that non-athletes experience some degree of that too i mean in college you get grades right Mm -hmm. i mean then you come to work and maybe your boss isn't one that gives feedback Mm-hmm. And yet you're doing an awesome job, but you never hear it. You never know, mm-hmm. right? That's challenging for even a non-athlete. But then, like you said, you place athletics and those kind of metrics on top of that. And it's just, you have no way to know how you're doing. So I wonder if it's about developing like an internal compass or like internal way of measuring. And so really, instead of looking externally, and this is what we're taught to do most of our lives, especially when we're growing up, because we don't know any better. But instead of looking externally and saying, I have like X number of stats, or I've won X number of national championships, or captain the team, instead of looking externally for those things, learning how to validate or measure those things more internally. Because I think, I think like, you know, as we talked about, most of life is lived in the gray. Mm -hmm. And there are ways you can measure things, but it may not be the way the person next to you is measuring things. Um, Yeah, I think it's very... It's interesting because I think the first and maybe most difficult piece of that is deciding what metrics, what those metrics are to you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, maybe for some people it is professional numbers, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's your salary. It's, mm-hmm. you know, how much you can pay in rent, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that is, you know, for some people. And then other people, like we talked about, maybe it's more vague. Like, how do you, yeah, your metric is happiness, but how do you, how do you go about measuring that, right? Yeah. And that's like the second phase, but it is, it's not... And it's, I'm absolutely still learning, and I think we probably all are, and I hope we all still do, but that's, you kind of are are left with a little bit of a void mm-hmm. when you leave. It's like, you don't have these metrics, you don't know how to measure them. And what was, what's been your experience in trying to find, or maybe not trying to find, but um, in how you relate to purpose and fulfillment and finding something, finding finding or designing a life that you feel good about um, or you feel purposeful about or fulfilled with? Um, so I I still love to-do lists. Right? Me too. Like, I love checking <laughs> things off and maybe that's my way of trying to make things concrete, right? That's my yeah. metric maybe is a to-do list. Um, but 
I thrive really well on feedback from people, and I'm fortunate to work um, for a boss now that gives a lot of good feedback, positive feedback when I do well. So that has really makes me love my current job, and I think that ties back into you know the community you su- you surround yourself with and and people you know in general, and I think success now to me and or at least what I want it to mean to me is waking up in the morning looking forward to the people that I'm going to see in my day whether it's at my gym Mm -hmm. whether it's going to work and then also looking forward to those items that are on my to-do list um and and getting fulfillment really from getting them checked off right to know that I'm moving forward so that I think has been my way of building my own little substructure into my life. Um, but it's still interesting. It's still, I don't really know what success really looks like for me yet. I haven't mm-hmm. totally defined it. I think I'm making steps towards it, but, mm-hmm. um, Well, I think it's, it's a journey for everyone. <laughs> and I think yeah. for me, what I've learned is like purpose and fulfillment um, I've become much more in tune with um, my intuition and my gut and like really continuing to work towards things that give me good energy and that I feel passionate about. And I think it's an important distinction to make though that there are always going to be things in our day to day that we don't really want to do. Um, but like understanding the kind of the balance or like what the greater perspective is and, and that higher level. Like I recently made a switch in the past couple of years within the tech world um, to digital health. And I just loved, even though of course there are things in my day-to-day job, uh, full-time job that I don't necessarily like to do, but being connected to that greater good mission and like really you know, helping people get healthy um, and feel good about themselves and being part of a company that really does that has been a huge step for me um, in my journey to understand what fulfills me um and that's just job wise but like also for me to understanding like oh like I love to be outside in nature and like I love like going camping or going up to like Tahoe um and really really forming like another identity right for myself or understanding what that is because I think as athletes you're so I mean understandably so we're so wrapped up my identity is I'm a student athlete at Stanford um and I play soccer and we won the national championship or I'm a pro soccer player. Um, people get really excited about that and want to hear about that. And I think like finding that identity, finding what fulfills you, it's always an ongoing process and it's always going to be changing. But there is a, there's a big, big gap for me <laughs> between um, like retiring and then figuring it out. You, I think you brought up an interesting point about how you, a couple years ago, you said you made a change um, career-wise, which I think is an, is an interesting step to be able to take. And I think that's a big one for people in the professional world that decide that they want to do something different, whether it's, in te- you know, it's the same kind of space, but it's a new company or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think that freedom sometimes, because we, we're very regimented, in sport right your schedule is set this is what you do this is you're here you don't have a whole lot of freedom to make decisions on what you do with your time and to be able to change something as big as a job 
and just decide to go and it's not quitting it's just a different decision mm-hmm. I think is an interesting experience for for athletes and can be scary absolutely but I think it's once you've done it once and you know that you have control over you know where you're going from nine to five really and what you're what you're doing for work is really a powerful thing yeah, and I think it goes back to we're talking about understanding there's not, as you said, there's not one right answer and there's not one right way. And like really living that and experiencing that I think was a was a big one for me because I think up until that change, I was just kind of doing what I thought I should do or, you know, someone said, oh, you're an athlete, so you were good at sales. So I did that and don't get me wrong, I did well and learned a lot, but realized it just wasn't for me and that's not what I wanted to be doing. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's an interesting turning point. Um, we're really like experiencing and living that, you know, life is gray and that there's not one right, there's not one right path and whatever that may be. Cool. Yeah. Well, um, well, so let's talk, let's see, we've talked about a lot of this stuff, which is great. Um, one question I have for you, and I know we're talking a lot about challenges, but what have been some highlights? Um, or positives in transitioning out of soccer for you? So learning how to surf was definitely... Yes. It was definitely one. That's I know amazing. I talked about it before. <laughs> um, but it was one that I... While I played, I was thinking about it, and I always wanted to do it, but I knew my... It just would not set my shoulder up to be in a good place for practice the next day. So that was really cool to finally get to learn how to do that and experience that. And I think... Um, you know, you just, you kind of find, you find new things and time always helps. And I always kind of would hear people say like, you, you're always going to miss it, which is absolutely true. But when I would hear people say that I would, it was, it was tough. I, I was, I didn't really want to accept that I would always miss it. Cause I always wanted to think you'll get over it mm-hmm. at some point and it won't be an issue anymore. Mm-hmm. But I think if I had to go back and tell myself, you know, knowing what I know now, if I had to go and and talk to myself five years ago and say, this is what it looks like, you absolutely do still miss it, but it doesn't hurt as bad as as it does right out, right? I mean, it's just like anything, time does heal and it, and you do miss it, but you miss it in a different way, I think Mm -hmm. is what I would say. Yes. I like that. So to put you on the spot, what would you, in your current day self, what would you tell your five year younger self? man that's a tough one I know um just keep changing until you find what you're happy with I think I had this notion that when I was done or when I graduated that I had to get on a track right it feels a little bit like a race like I need to start in the right spot now so that in three years I'm ahead of this person or that person Mm -hmm. because you know if I change the what I decide to do two years down the road, then I'm two years behind. Mm-hmm. And it's just absolutely not true. And I wish I had known that. Yeah, so it's interesting because I, let's see, when I entered the workforce, I was three years out of college. So I was technically three years behind. Um, and I was grateful for that. I think for athletes who try to enter the workforce like 10 years like post-college graduation, it's a different story. Um, but in those couple of year, the year range, it was... I didn't feel behind at all. And like you figure it out, as you said, um, and like things are going to keep changing and you keep, not to say there's not going to be bad or tough or hard moments. And that's always been part of life. 
um, even when you're doing exactly what you love, <laughs> um, but to keep working towards kind of like, what is that gut feeling towards what, what really drives me or like gives me purpose? Absolutely. And it just goes back to the change you made a couple years ago. Like, I hope that I continue to keep making those changes. If I'm ever unhappy, I just hope I change. Yeah. That's, that's just, I don't know. That's how, that's my plan. I don't have anything more detailed than that. Just That's all you need, though. Changes. Your plan is to keep changing. <laughs> keep trying new things. <laughs> Throw the spaghetti yeah. against the wall yeah. and see what sticks. The biggest gray area ever. Just keep yes. changing until you're happy. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. <laughs> um, well, good. Okay, so I want to ask one more question, and then we'll kind of do some rapid fire and wrap it up. Um, but I want to get a little bit more into um, the decision-making process for you to retire. And so you said you took two weeks um, between when you were kind of given the, the choice, um, you know, what was going through your head or how did you ultimately come to the decision? Um, so, so I was out, so I was, had a concussion, so I was out yes. of play. Um, and I don't think we had started classes yet, so it was very much just soccer. Mm-hmm. Um... It was, I mean, it was on my mind all the time. I think in the way I broke it down, I had kind of three different options. I could have gone through the progression of back to play, the normal medical protocol and played. Um, I could have decided to medically retire and because I knew how hard it was going to be to be at practices, I could have dissociated from the team Mm -hmm. and just been done with it altogether. Um, and then the third option, which is the way that I ended up going was medically retire, but still stay on as a captain. And I don't think I could have, I couldn't have dissociated. I just, that wouldn't have been me. Right. I wouldn't have known how to do that. Um, and I really kind of, even in the midst of having a concussion and trying to make a decision, (laughs) the best state to be in when you're making a life decision. (laughs) But, uh, fortunately I made the right one. Um, but I think I realized that, you know, I was at Stanford and I was a senior at Stanford and there was a lot of, you know, I'm, I was proud of myself as an athlete, but I was also proud of myself as a student mm-hmm. and what I could bring to the table mm-hmm. um, from an intellectual standpoint. And I knew that, you know, my athletic career was going to end and, and everybody's does. Mm-hmm. And... And I wanted to, you know, it wasn't, it was bigger than just intellectual ability versus athletic ability. Mm-hmm. You know, it was my brain. And so that's every part of your life. You know, it's not, it's not a shoulder. It's not, I mean, so that I think I really, I really understood that. And I, I think I, when I got hit in my last game, I, and they diagnosed it as a fourth concussion, I knew I was done. I knew I was done that night. Mm-hmm. It just took me two weeks to be able to say it. Yeah. An incredibly hard decision. I think it's in, like it's pretty incredible for you to have that perspective. I know we're talking about brains in the rest of your life, but um, at least I found I had, as we talked about, I have a knee and I had a knee injury that was career ending for me. And I, and I find with a lot of athletes, the common response to any sort of injury is, well, when can I get back out on the field? Um, when can I get back out on the field? And like, you're just so programmed and we're and you're so invested like right, in the sport and that's who you are that's your identity um so it's just like the first question is when can i get out there it ne- doesn't really occur that oh well maybe i shouldn't be getting back out there so 
Um, yeah, it's it's so my so I ended up medically retiring after my fourth concussion my senior season, but uh, my sophomore spring my third concussion was my worst one, um, and that I was out for about five months, six Oof. months, and um, had to drop my classes, had a hard time reading, um, was in a dark room, you know all the stories that you hear about about people with yeah. with that stuff. So. Um, when you talk about players coming back, it's funny because I think I was, I think it made it okay to me to retire after my fourth one because I had come back for my third one. Yes. So I had already proven that I could come back after something like that, mm-hmm. that I didn't need to do it again. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, not that multiple concussions are fortunate in any way, but the fact that I had come back from that third one, I knew I could do it. I didn't have anything else to prove, mm-hmm. I think, in that probably played a part in the peace of mind that I had when I decided to retire. And maybe, too, the fact that you had experienced a very dark side of what it was like to to experience mental trauma, you know, brain trauma, yeah. right? And, and I think I felt like after my, four- my fourth one was not nearly as severe as my third one, and I think I felt like this is the, this is the chance to, yeah. to stop before you, before you get another bad one, and mm-hmm. it's another big, you know, lot of time you know, like you said, in a dark place. Yeah. <laughs> right? In more definitely. ways than one. So I think yeah. it was kind of like, this is this is your time to stop. This is your signal. Yeah. Well, good for you. I know I've, I've had a couple close friends experience some pretty bad concussions, and it's scary, you know, not being able to not read or screen time or no light, a lot of headaches yeah. and stuff. I think one of the hardest things, at least for me, and I, I've heard this from other people too, is you don't... I didn't want people to see me like I was. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the hardest parts was I didn't, I wasn't, I was irritable. I mean, all the things yeah. that they, the, the symptoms that everybody knows about, but how they manifested for me was I didn't want somebody to see that because I saw it as a weakness. I did. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want them to see me in a weak place. So when I probably needed the most social support, that was when I was pushing people away the most, mm-hmm. right? Which is ironic, but um, it's a difficult place to be in, and it's hard to. And I, I'm willing to talk to people if they're, you know, in a position where they have concussions, because having somebody that can relate to that feeling of not feeling like yourself, mm-hmm. I think, would have been comforting for me at the time. Um, the, the other thing I always thought about and I wish um, that we had had was um, like a therapy animal. Yes. Like, because. Yes. Um, like a dog or support animal. Yeah. I, I mean, saw because, a support therapy pig the other day. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I've heard of a, um, an emotional support peacock. There you go. Didn't they try to bring Yes, they did. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just, I, I wish I had had one, I think, in that time because I was you know, I'd burst into tears, like, mm-hmm. you know, out of nowhere. And so, and a dog doesn't care, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't have to explain yourself to a dog. Exactly. Um, but anyway, so that, it's just, it's a tough place to be in. And having somebody to relate to that's been there, I think, would have been a huge, huge um, help for me at that point. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing. I know, yeah. like, that's, that's a tough, tough pro- mental process to go through. You um, cut all that part out. The whole side story. No, just chop no. it out. It's good to hear. I like going, like going into the details. Uh, 
Um, the dark places. <laughs> the dark places. Yeah. That's good. We want people to know that life isn't all happy-go-lucky. We yeah. all go through stuff. Well, cool. Okay, so let's do some rapid-fire questions. Okay. And we can wrap up. All right. Okay. Get me on my toes here. <laughs> okay, so who is an inspirational role model for you? Um, I have to say my mom. Why? Um, gosh, there's just so many reasons running through my mind. Um, she's just, she's just great. I don't, she, I can't even articulate it. It's fair. It's your mom. <laughs> she's my mom. That's exactly. That's enough. Uh, what role do sports play in your life now that you're done with your sports career? So interesting for me, it's still my professional career. So we um, we're very um, sports minded in our company. Anyways, I mean we we are a sports data company, but the people in the company love sports as well. So it makes it a great community to be in um, to experience it as a fan which is a different, you know, kind of perspective, but still a big part of my life. Great. Love it. If you knew you could do anything and not fail, what would you do? Well, being inspired by the Winter Olympics, I think I'd have to say being a bobsledder. That would be so <laughs> fun. <laughs> that was hard. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And intense. intense. I love that. Or oh. speed skater. That's pretty cool. Short track. That stuff. Yes. Although I don't think muscular thighs. Yeah. I don't think bigger than the collisions players. are probably too much for my head, so that's okay. probably yeah, ruled out. Probably. But, you know. If I knew I weren't gonna fail or fall, there you go. That's probably what I do. <laughs> Speed scared. <laughs> uh, let's see. If you could lead any life and be successful, how are you to find that? What would that life look like? <sighs> probably similar to what I said earlier. I think waking up every day knowing then I was going to look forward to the people I would see that day. And then I was going to look forward to the things on my to-do list. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. And how do you find inspiration? I was actually just, this is not going to be a rapid fire answer, but I was just thinking about that the other day because in sports, you know, you have these inspirational videos that you watch sometimes or your song, right? Your pregame. Yeah, no, exactly. And you never kind of reach that level of, stimulation right you never kind of reach that level of amped in mm -hmm. your day-to-day -day life um no the emotions are i just i mean i've talked to a lot of friends about this the emotions are so raw in soccer yes. like i remember when i um like when he won the elite eight against portland um and i just remember like kristen press like running around and like knocking over lt <laughs> and just like but you're literally just well, so... lt probably would have fallen over on her own oh so. i have a video of this scene it's really funny i think i have seen that video actually <laughs> yeah. she just takes her yes oh, it's like i watch it sometimes it's pretty funny press is just screaming yes yes yeah i've seen that one but like those moments are like yeah. when i when i would like uh, when we won in PKs against Cal and I scored the winning PK. Like, it was just, like, those moments are just so raw and yeah. just, like, the high is so high. Um, but, yeah, it's so different than day-to-day -day life. I mean, like, on a down day when you've got to go to work, you don't, you know, you don't throw on TIs, bring them out, right? I mean, <laughs> no, exactly. you just kind of, like, you know, so I, I think motivation changes what it used to mean in sport is a little bit different now. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I'm still stuck on that one. I'm not yeah. totally sure. I think that's totally fair. I think it's like more about the long game. 
Like it's like it's not it's a marathon, not a sprint sort yeah. of thing. And but I think there are moments. I'm still figuring it out too. There are moments woven in there. Yeah. Okay. Maybe a, an inspirational video here and here and there. Maybe that'll help me. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> inspirational Going video. Into a big meeting. With the dogs. <laughs> Ready to go. Or you could just throw on some TI. Like oh. that works too. Okay, and then last question. Advice to athletes transitioning out of their sports careers. Absolutely don't be afraid to change what you've decided to do. Um, You don't have to get it right the first time, but you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I would also say talk to people that have been through it. I think I didn't... I think I thought I was the only one feeling that way, right? And that's what I think is so great about what you're doing with Kirby Method and everything we're talking about here is that it's everybody goes through some variation of it and somebody has likely been in the tough spot you've been in. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid to, to talk about it, right? I mean, I think that's kind of the underlying, the underlying message is everybody's different but there are common threads that I think we can all relate on and probably help each other just by sitting down and talking about it yeah I love that (laughs) well cool well thanks for joining today it's very nice to have you thank you for having me hopefully I'll, I'll be back sometime yes we would love that another guest performance